Hello. Yes, I want to ask you a question. Have you ever met someone who is addicted, an alcoholic or someone who is into drugs? Maybe you put them off. Maybe you say that's the end of them. It doesn't have always to be like that. You can recover and you come out shining and doing things and achieving things in your own life, achieving your dreams. Yeah. And uh, this is now Tell Us, and I'm your host, <laughs> Anthony Mwerore, and I'm welcoming you to today's show. We have a guest who is known as Henry Ward. He's been there, done that, and then come out to tell us the story. If you're ready, Let's go and meet Henry. Here we go. Hey, Anthony, how's it going? Nice to meet you. It's going all well. Good to see you. Good to see you. Yes, I love your smile. Thank you. <laughs> I'm much happier than I was in years past, I'll say that. Oh, yeah, is that, that's good. It's good to hear that. And uh, just as I introduced, uh, people have been there, done that, what you've done, and then you've come to tell us uh, your story. Now, before we get started, we'd like to know, where are you? I'm in Chandler, Arizona. I grew up in Boston, Massachusetts, but I live in lovely uh, Chandler, Arizona right now. Okay, how is it there? Always interested to know the weather the world over. Well, the summers are extremely hot. You know, we probably have an average temperature of 110 degrees from June until late August. But right now we're right around 60 degrees and it's cool at night. Oh, that's beautiful. Ah, welcome to Now Tell Us. You've got much to tell us. And uh, uh, starting from where you were born and growing up, just as you told us, how was it when you were growing up? Uh, it wasn't easy, I'll say that, Anthony. Uh, I grew up in Waltham, Massachusetts, in a community that alcohol and drugs, but in my, in my little world, it was mostly alcohol, mm -hmm. uh, were very prevalent. And people that did drink, drank in excess, and I didn't like it at all, you know, including family members that were close to me, uh, friends that the family hung out with. And just it was uh, I didn't like when people abused alcohol because they were loud, obnoxious and really not present and didn't really give me the attention when they were under the influence. And I vowed never to drink, never to be like them until I had the opportunity. And then. I did exactly monkey see monkey do. I did exactly what I saw and learned. And I drank in excess the first time and pretty much every time after that. So, yeah. And, and I'm was, curious to know how, how the, that first time came to be. So the first time curiosity got the best of me, you know, I would see some other kids, you know, even younger, younger kids we were in elementary school. I remember some, some kids had older brothers and they'd be drinking or smoking pot on the bus and middle school. Same thing. I would see it more often as I got older. And then finally, I guess I was a junior junior in high school. And I finally decided, you know, we were talking amongst my, my group of friends. 
what if we got some money together, pulled some money together and got some, some beer or some liquor. We ended up getting a couple cases of wine coolers because I hated the taste of beer. And, uh, the first time I had the taste in my mouth, it was on, man. Like I couldn't get those things in me fast enough. I'd get, they give me a burp. I'd get a burp up just to get more down. And, you know, I remember just like, I went from feeling okay to like warm and fuzzy to really like oblivious to everything around me. I remember waking up on my friend's porch in a sleeping bag in the rain with like cuts and, and bruises all over me. I cut my head open, my back and everything. I, I guess I was told that I slid down a railing and, and fell backwards. You know, I could have killed myself. Could have really had a you know traumatic brain injury. Luckily, the only thing that happened was I had a smashing headache. And, uh, you know, after the cobwebs cleared, I vowed never to drink again. Like that was it. You know, I felt like it was really cool. Like I was a rock star. Partying was really neat, but like that wasn't for me. I don't like the way it makes you feel afterwards. And I don't remember anything, but it might have been a week or two later. And then we had the opportunity again to 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 get some more wine coolers. And this pretty much the same results happened. I couldn't just have just one. I knew in retrospect, I knew that I had a problem. I knew I couldn't stop. I liked it too much. I liked the feeling of escaping. I like the feeling of um, I could actually like be myself and talk. I could say what was on my mind. You know, there's a term called beer muscles, right? Maybe there's wine cooler muscles too. I don't know, but just a figure of speech. But it kind of got me out of my shell. I was, a, you know, like a shy little kid and I could say whatever I wanted to. And eventually that started getting me in trouble too. My mouth got me in trouble. But yeah. Wow. So you hate it, you get into it, then you hate it again, you get into it. And so the trend kept on moving and growing. Uh, how, how, which steps did it go to? So it escalated. Once I turned 21, I could buy alcohol legally myself. So it became more of an everyday thing for me, as opposed mm. to just, you know, whenever we could get somebody to buy for us, it was so much more convenient to walk to the store, drive to the store. As soon as it opened at nine o'clock in the morning on the weekends or after work during the week, I would go there just about every day. I drank just about every day and people started questioning, like, do you think you have a problem? What do you mean do I have a problem? Well, it appears you drink every day. Like, I don't drink every day, but I really did unless I had something to do that I wasn't allowed to drink uh, for or at. Um, I did really drink every day. Like I used to say, like, every day is like a party. Every day is like Thanksgiving. But yeah, no, I had, uh, by the age of 22 or 23, I had two hit and run accidents, DUI arrests and, and possession of marijuana. I went to court, lost my license, and I really just got a slap in the wrist. It wasn't enough to, I stopped drinking for a couple of days, but I started feeling sorry for myself and the pity party. So what I did was I just drank. I drank to kind of drown my sorrows and, and, and forget. I drank to forget. I drank to escape. I drank because I was an alcoholic, honestly. That's what alcoholics do. And mm -hmm. uh, yeah, no, you know, roller coaster, I partied. I had a lot of good times with my friends, you know, in my 20s. But, um, you know, I caused a considerable amount of damage to relationships, to property. Uh, you know, the people that I hung around with were doing the same things I was. I didn't want to hang around with people that didn't want to drink or smoke weed or do drugs. Like that was boring. That was lame for me. Mm -hmm. I don't know why people didn't want to. Like, for example, I tell the story, somebody said, 
do you want to go to Panera for lunch? Like, there's nothing there for me. They don't serve beer, you know? Mm-hmm. Why would I want to go there? Let's go to this bar or that restaurant. But yeah, no, it, 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 um, whether I believed it or not at the time, it, it consumed me and it took over my life and it just kept escalating. I kept trying different attempts to cut down. I would, I'm going to start a fitness program. I'm going to go to the gym. And, you know, I started seeing results right away and feeling better and more confident. Then I started rewarding myself with beer and weed after I worked out. And that was counterproductive. So the next day I go to work out, I'm a little bit more sluggish. And I started beating myself up like you're sluggish, you know, and I would drink more or smoke more pot. And then I decided I was going to go to culinary school. That would keep me sober. That didn't uh, that didn't work. That worked for about a day. And then uh, I moved to Arizona. I figured a geographical change from Boston to Arizona. I figured a geographical change would work. And that didn't work either, you know. And so I found a nice girl, a nice woman. We ended up getting married and we had problems throughout our relationship, financial problems, fighting over, you know, my behavior and the money I spent on alcohol and what I was hiding. And I always, I never lied to her. I just stretched the truth. Like she said, I know you've been drinking. Yeah, I just had one or two. Well, I had one or two liters of beer and I also had some tequila. You know, I left that part out. Little white lies. Yeah, I was just, you know, all the madness. I used to think about how much I could drink today, how much time I had, how much money I had what I could get away with. I'd spend the day like thinking about that all the time. So it was extremely distracting at work. My work suffered because I was half in the bag or, you know, sluggish because I was hung over or just didn't have the clarity because I was just thinking about how much I could drink that day. And that cycle went on and on and on. And um, yeah, no, like I was given an ultimatum to be sober or not like forever. Like you got to stop forever. So I started going to meetings AA meetings and that certainly helped me but I felt like I was just kind of going through the motions you know I'd listen and and I'd speak up but I felt like I was really not you have to be a hundred percent invested in the program and mm-hmm. I was like one foot in the door one foot out I was probably 85 or 90 percent and then I had the opportunity to go to China for the 2008 Beijing Olympic project as a chef and uh I didn't want to go in retrospect. I was scared to death that I was going to be all alone and I could possibly die out there. Like I always lived with my, my mother, my parents or my girlfriend and wife. And I always had kind of a caretaker type thing. And I, I thought maybe like if I went over there, it's going to be on my own and kind of go off the deep end. And, you know, I was supposed to be sober. And as soon as I got on the plane, I let my guards down. I wasn't using the tools and resources that I learned in AA. And in counseling, and as soon as I get on the airplane, I started drinking. Like mm-hmm. I just, it just happened. Like I felt like I was possessed. For years, I felt like I was going to the liquor store every day. It was like, oh my god, I don't even remember like walking into the store. Not that I was under the influence, but it was just kind of like I was such a creature of habit. I was going there like because I had to. I had to supply my habit. Like I felt like I was possessed, and that same type of possession came over when I got on that plane. And I'm like, oh, well, well, this will be kind of like my last hurrah, my last party. And so my wife told me that, like, enjoy yourself over there. Be careful. But when you come back, that's it. And so I came back and it was all, all was well and good. It was good to be back and see my wife and be in American soil. And the company that I work for gave us a, a as a reward, a dinner in Orlando. Ironically, as the story goes, my wife also was going to be in Orlando for travel too. And she never traveled for work and she wanted to connect over there. And 
two or three phone calls later after giving excuses after excuses like oh they're doing like some sort of cocktail party don't worry i'm drinking sprite oh they're doing this like i can't meet with you yet because we haven't had dinner and they have they're doing an award ceremony and by the third time i called her she i was repeating myself and she knew i was drunk and said don't call me anymore like we're done we get back we're gonna talk and like like so like immediately like i start texting her and calling her and she's not answering and so i would get matter and matter so instead of having two drinks in my hand i think i had three or four and i really started drowning my sorrows i really thought i screwed up my life i really thought i lost her so we came home i i drank the whole time don't know how i got home when i came home i drank like i wanted to i went to the store not having any booze in the house that i was supposed to be sober and, and stocked up and then like day three after falling down and not eating much and banging my head and really just blacking out and not remember anything just really lost the will to live i wasn't suicidal but i didn't want to live um i went i was going to go to the shower i was going to go in the shower to get rid of the cold sweats and sober up so that i can go to the store and buy some more beer and booze mm -hmm. i remember sitting there in the shower praying to god just send me an angel send me somebody i don't want to be like this in the, anymore i'm scared i'm gonna die please god send anybody i remember opening up the door walking out into the, into my bedroom and getting my clothes that were laid out in the bed and seeing our house was for sale, seeing a realtor and a young couple and their jaws hit the ground and mine did too. And I slowly crapped up back and closed the door and like, oh my God, like that was so humiliating. And then I just sat there and I said, aha, that was the angels that God sent me. That's what I prayed for. They just came in a different form. And that was enough. Like he's those angels. I went into the kitchen after I got changed and I opened up the last four or five beers, whatever I had, and right down the go, 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 down the drain. I never drank again. I remember just sitting there like with the dog going, Oh my God, that was so powerful. I really had a spiritual awakening. And um, I said, Let me put together a plan. So I got on like the computer, I remember like Googling like you know, magic pill to to get sober, sober, um, you know, quick fix, uh, sober life, whatever it was. I just started Googling phrases. Mm. And I'm like, who am I kidding? I'm going to need to go to treatment. And so I planned on going to treatment. My wife came home the next day and I told her what happened. She said, okay, we're done unless you go to treatment now. And I said, I don't feel well enough to go to treatment now. So she's like, okay, well, I got an apartment. I'm prepared to leave. I'm leaving. And you know, you, you got to go work on yourself. And she gave me some tough love and it was honestly, it ended up saving my life. And I went to treatment and I went there and I asked the guy, he said, can I help you? And I said, I'm, I'm here to get some information about treatment. He's like, what the hell is information going to do for you? So what do you mean? He's like, oh, I don't know how much this costs. He's like, what lengths would you go to to drink? Any? I said, well, pretty much, you know, well, what lengths would you go to? This is your life what lengths did you go to get sober? Any? I said, yeah. Then why wouldn't you sign up? I'm like, this guy's like a salesman, man. Like the hell he's getting a commission off this. And why are you being so pushy? And why are you being so rough with me? And he was, he was aggressive. Mm -hmm. but, um, that tough love also kind of helped me too. And like, if your life, you said you'd go to any lengths and your life's worth a million dollars, even if this program costs a million dollars, which it doesn't, is a is million dollars, is your life worth a million dollars? Well, yeah then sign up like, well, I got to talk to my wife. She may or may not come back to you, but you got to work on yourself. And I quickly found out that I needed to go to treatment for myself. It wasn't for the relationship. Like initially it was like to patch up the marriage. 
Mm. I needed to fix me. I needed to fix the reason why I drank. Like anybody can quit drinking, but I quickly found out when I got in the program, you need to work on your character defects. We mm -hmm. avoid the side of us that we're trying to fill. Like, why was I trying to escape? I needed to find those answers. And, you know, to this day, I'm still searching for some of them, but I learned that, that one is too many and a hundred's not enough. Like I could never drink one again because every time I cut down, I still had the same results. I could not just have this one, maybe, maybe this time, but next time I would drink like I wanted to. So I really got an education of myself. I really learned how to deal with emotions, whether it's happiness, sadness, anger, frustration, those are all emotions. You know, it's okay to be sad and angry. Um, and then I also quickly learned that it's okay to be an alcoholic, like just like somebody with cancer or a broken leg or a broken arm. Nobody wants to have a broken arm. Nobody wants to have cancer. I certainly didn't want to be an alcoholic. Mm -hmm. um, so like, what am I going to do? I'm stuck with this disease forever. And so I, um, I was always searching for answers and eventually speed up to 2013. My son was born in 2012. He's now 10. Uh, so like when he was in the womb, we were getting ultrasounds done and we could never get a clear picture of him. He's always doing somersaults and flips and everything like that. I'm like, oh my God, I'm going to have to be able to keep up with this dude. <laughs> so I started walking distance and I remember going to therapy and the guy figured out that I was an adrenaline junkie. That's, there's a void inside of me that I need to fill. And you got, he's like, you got to find something. So mm -hmm. uh, speed up to April of 2013 after learning how to distance walk, I said, what if I started running? I could go further and I could get there faster. Mm -hmm. And I asked my friend Enrique if he would possibly, if he was running this glass fest 8K race in his hometown that we were going to visit. And he said, I will if you do. And I said, sign me up. And so I did. I had no idea. I trained twice. I loved the training. And as soon as we started running, I hated it because I was running too fast. I was running my son in the stroll. And I went from never, never, never doing this again to like, this is the greatest feeling in my life when I found a way to finish. And I could mm -hmm. keep drawing on like, uh, I could keep drawing on, like, I got through 22 years of hard times in active addiction. I got through that. I can get through this 8K, this 5.3 miles. Mm -hmm. And then I realized I had this endurance gene. So I started escalating up the distances. I ended up doing the Pittsburgh Marathon within the first year of running. And then nothing in moderation, more, more, more for people with addiction. So I was, I was hooked on marathons and I found out about ultra marathons. So I started doing that. I did a couple 50 milers, then the progression via 100 mile, then my first 100 mile came out to Arizona and did that in 2016. And then since then, I've done about 20 different 100 milers. Um, I'll do marathon courses. I'll do it last weekend. I did the Arizona Rock and Roll Marathon Quad, which is the marathon course for consecutive times. So I'll start at the finish line, go to the start line, go to the finish line, go to the start line, go to the finish line, the fourth marathon is the actual official marathon i've done mm -hmm. um i've done 10 of those i've done uh two different 66.6 hour treadmill events and i did a 250 mile uh endurance run this past year and all these long distance events i've used running as a i've used running as a platform to share my story of hope recovery and show people that we can recover and there's not it's not a death sentence addiction is not it is forever but we can um, we can recover and we can often thrive. We can do things in society. So like initially, I didn't want to share my story. Like I said, like I didn't I didn't want to be an alcoholic. And I said, what do I have to lose? Maybe I'm going to be helping people. So 
yeah, I've used running as, as um, it's a gift. Like sobriety is like the biggest gift. I honestly feel like I'd be dead if I didn't get sober forever. Mm-hmm. And like every day we wake up as a gift to be able to run and to be able to run at the level that I do. Those are like huge gifts. Like, mm. Yeah, it's always good to find a passion that uh, you have uh, substituted to something that you are not so happy about. Now, I have uh, Jeremy with us here, who's 100 days sober. Hey, congrats, Jeremy. That's awesome. Jeremy, that's good. Way to go. Let's get sober. Let's stay sober. That's it forever. We get ready. <laughs> From Boston, we get sober. We get sober. What, that's what amazing. Keep that streak alive, Jeremy. Just keep stringing days together. You know, it's, uh, it's totally worth it. Hmm. Yeah, that's good. So I'm trying to imagine, and maybe you, Henry, and Jeremy can answer me that. Um, if you have friends, and like I know you had friends who are sober, or maybe even family, and you are in that state of a roller coaster, uh, doing what you don't want to do, regretting after you've done it, being happy when you're doing it, being sad once you've done it, up and down. and and, and then you have people surrounding you who are sober, people who want you sober. What at that point would be the best thing for you to have had or experienced? And, and maybe maybe it's part of your recovery that you've come through. But then at that point of Aurora Costa, what or what help could have been the best help someone gave you at that point? Yeah, I, I guess taking somebody to the meeting taking somebody to a meeting mm-hmm. or or bringing them to a group where there's other sober people and showing them what our life was like and telling them what it used to be like give them examples of what it used to be like and like you don't have to live with all this madness you know like typically when you have someone like that they're either like one foot in the door one foot out the door like on the roller coaster like you say they probably think they have a problem and if they do they they if they think they have a problem more than likely they do mm-hmm. and it doesn't get easier as as you get older it gets life gets more stressful but it gets harder and harder each time you fail at quitting i believe it gets harder and harder and we beat ourselves up a little bit more and a mm-hmm. little bit more so i try to teach younger kids even like my son sebastian's age group 10 8 9 10 11 12 um about addictive personalities if you can catch the kids at a younger age, at least educate them, then we're increasing the odds of them not drinking or abusing uh, illicit drugs. Mm. And this is the reason that we are having these conversations. Uh, Looking back and helping those people who have not uh, gone through that, and the best uh, people to look at are the young ones, the ones who are growing, the ones who are developing the ones who are learning new things so what could you give what advice could you give the parents that are listening to us uh you know be very involved in your children's lives you know know who their friends are know know what they're kind of know what they're doing i mean you can't be behind them and catch them every time they fall and you can't like be super nosy and and uh you know listen to all their phone calls or whatever but you know really uh really spend a lot of time with your kids and be observant be observant who they're hanging around with 
and be observing what they're doing, like in their spare time, you know, and just, there's definitely some signs, you know, change in mood, change in friends, change in habits, school performance, sports performance. If that's if all those things start declining or changing, then you know a, a light bulb should pop off, and then you know you definitely need to to talk to them and address it, bring them to counseling, and figure out what the root problem is if it is drugs or alcohol or both. Mm. And now running, running, and running. Uh, what has been your greatest uh, run? What has been your greatest marathon? Or I mean, the first one, the 8K was probably the greatest because I didn't quit as much mm -hmm. as I wanted to. Mm -hmm. But, um, you know, it's pretty special going home to Boston and running on that course. Like I always would grow up watching it, like with my grandparents or, or my, my parents and and then as I get older friends, I someday I'm going to run the Boston Marathon. But that was so far fetched. I smoked cigarettes. I partied. You know, there's no way the, the way I was going that I was going to do it. And to be able to leave all that madness behind and find a way to get myself in good shape and to be able to do it, to qualify for Boston and do that every year. And I do the four marathons there in April. This will be the sixth year that I've done that um, to be able to be on that historic course and see so many friends and faces in the crowd in the area where I caused a lot of damage to my relationships with people and for them to forgive me and accept me. That's really cool. So Boston's Boston's got a special place in my heart, the Boston marathon. Um, that's a good one. Okay. And now using uh, running to sensitize the, the public uh, to teach a lesson to tell a story um tell us what's your picture what's your aim in, in because uh, you are starting to run for yourself you get encouraged by your fr a friend but then now as you're running many ideas may be coming to you i can do that i can add this i can make this better do you or in other words in short what's in the future I want to show, I want to show people like I want to give people courage that they mm -hmm. can change their lives, you know, whether it's uh, diet and exercise mm -hmm. uh, or just get get sober or both. I want to show people that you can do hard things like I tell people if I could get clean and sober, I believe anybody can. It was really, really hard for me to, you know, humbly accept that I had a problem and to do something about it you know, my way never worked to ask for help from somebody else and pay for it. Like that was, it was humiliating for me and really hard to do. And then to learn that I had to do it forever was hard to, it's continuous work. There's no magic pill, but like, honestly, like if I'm, if I can do it and I'm here today telling you about it, then I believe anybody can. Like I wrote, if I like start running in fitness too, anybody can run. You don't have to be super fast. If you run, you're a runner. Like, I wrote three books mm. started in Cove and like, I'm not like that smart. I'm not like book smart and more street start. If, if I could write a book, anybody can, right? Mm. If you write, you're a writer. If you run, you're a runner. But the point is anybody could change um, if you want to. I believe you can do pretty much anything you want to want to do. You just have to put your mind to it and there's no shortcuts. It's just hard work. You get what you put into it. Mm. Thank you for that. And I remember like uh, you were doing some fundraising or something. Uh, yeah. So I've done different fundraising projects. Like I've been 
given money to people that are suffering, like kind of a scholarship on people that are suffering from addiction that may may not be able to afford treatment. Mm-hmm. And recently I have, um, I did a running club fund. So my son's school, we, um, I volunteer, I'm kind of the lead guy at this running club. So every Tuesday and Thursday morning, students have the opportunity to run around the schoolyard. And I was fascinated. Like the program started before me and it was smaller. And every time they got like five laps, they got like a little toe token about the size of my thumbnail mm-hmm. and they get different colors. And they were like, I got a red one. I get a green one. So last year I decided to give him more incentives, more prizes. We ended up um, getting like homemade finish award done this year. I got water bottles, uh, sneakers, race entries. I just had four kids, the top kids um, that have done the most laps got to run the Arizona rock and roll 5k. And I, one of the students finished first in the age group. He was pretty pumped, but um, giving him more prizes to run more to, to push themselves a little bit more. So once they have more incentives, more people are running and more kids are going further. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's a great way to start their school day. So yeah, I started raising funds for that. Mm, yeah, that's good. Now, to those people who are listening, in what way would you like to connect with them? What, what, what they can look at? Yeah, so uh, you can go to my website, www.runningwithoutthedevil.com. I'm on okay. Facebook. You can look me up at Running Without the Devil, and same thing with Instagram. Um, I didn't get my email also from the website, but it's henry at runningwithoutthedevil.com. Um, I was looking to connect with new people. I can share what works for me and and hope to to change somebody's life. Like, again, when I got to share this story, like five people might tell you like, oh, thank you. You changed my life or thank you for uh, for motivating me, whatever. But you never know the impact. You don't know how many people are watching. So thankful, thankful like to programs like this. Uh, we can reach the masses and, and maybe save thousands of lives. Who knows? Yeah, you never know. I mean, you never one, know. One life changed is a, a great achievement. Just trying to do my little part. Yeah. Now, why running without the devil? Why that title? So I try to come up with a title of my nonprofit in my first book, Running Without the Devil. And uh, that's what I came up with. So the devil was kind of alcohol and drugs that like, I always say, I don't remember the Flintstones. He had like the good, the good one with the halo, the angel and the devil on this corner and the devil would be jabbing him with a pitchfork like the angel had given good ideas and the devil like don't do that stupid do it this way Mm -hmm. i always had that in my head just like do this just go to the store go to the store go to the store you know you need to drink today um the devil was alcohol you know the devil was in me like the uh i felt possessed um i had a lot of anger issues and Mm -hmm. uh, right now i don't i don't run with the devil anymore that's that's the past life i had the 22 years of of hard times I left that all behind now I'm, now I'm I'm not running away from it I had I deal with my problems head on but I'm running away from the devil wow that's good wonderful so running without the devil go there and follow henry connect and um you never know if you have someone who's undergoing these challenges on a roller coaster up and down uh, with drugs or alcohol you can always connect him or her with henry and, yes please uh, if someone has been there done that experience and come out he's always a good resource he can always tell you yes i've been there i can give you a helping hand and lift you up so absolutely 
We thank you, Henry, for being on this show. I thank you, Anthony, for having me. Yes. And now we are just about to go. But before we go, we would like you to leave us with a few words that we always should remember. Which are they? Get help. Speak up. Never suffer in silence. Talk to somebody. It doesn't have to be a loved one. If you're ashamed, you don't feel like you can, you can talk to them. You can talk to a counselor at school, at work, or a complete stranger. Just don't stay in your own head alone. It's not a good place always. Get, get everything out of your system um, and, and speak up because somebody else might have the answer for you. Oh, yes. Somebody else out there may be having the answer for you. So you don't have to keep quiet. You can reach out, speak, ask, request, and then you'd get the help that you need. Once again, thank you, Henry. Thank you, Anthony. And uh, also thank you to our viewers. Even if you get to listen to this or watch it after we are through, we thank you for taking your time. Congrats again, Jeremy, on 100, 100 days sober. That's amazing, man. Yeah, that's cool. Keep on, keep on. So this has been Now Tell Us, and I have been your host, Anthony Moirore, and together with our guest, Henry Ward, we are saying bye for now. Bye. Thank you.